Good morning. Welcome back to the LCC podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to take a second to tell you all that Suzanne, our Bible study leader, the one you've been listening to the past few weeks, also has a book available that you can purchase on Amazon. It's called Engaging the God Who Sees You, God Wants You as His Own. It's available in a hardcover, paperback, and on Kindle. I'll put the link to that in the description of this episode, so I definitely recommend that you check that out. And also, when we're reading during these Bible studies, we're mostly reading from the Passion Translation. I just thought that was an important detail that you might need to know. Um, So this week, we are getting into John chapter 15. Um, We are leading up to the last days before Jesus is arrested. It's a great episode, and I hope you enjoy. Let us know what you think. Okay, so if you remember last time we talked about in John 14 that Jesus is kind of having his last conversation with his disciples, this is his last uh, night before he is uh, arrested and crucified. It's the last time because even remember after the resurrection, he doesn't really stay with them. He appears to them at different times. This is the last time where he's just with them, right? It's it, with normalcy. This is when the normalcy is about to end. <clears throat> and so he, these are the things that he wanted them to know. Um, we're going to actually go to this one scripture. And when, one thing that, that I'm finding, and I, I think it's fascinating, in the book of John, um, he is like Matthew in that he's bringing in a lot of Old Testament things. But in Matthew, it quotes the Old Testament more than any other gospel because he's proving to the Jewish people Jesus is Messiah. That's the whole intent for the book. In this, it's not as much that. He is he is proving Jesus is Messiah. Uh, he's proving that Jesus is God. Uh, all of the times in John, you know, there are seven statements where Jesus says, I am, you know, and he's saying different things, and he is bringing himself to let them know that he is the God-man, right? But it's more than that. It's not just the seven statements. Um, in this chapter, uh, you know, it's Jesus, I am the vine, and you are the branches, right? Um, if we go back and we get the understanding that you do, the Jewish people had when they heard this, then we'll benefit, right? And so we're going to go back to Psalm um, 80, verses 7 through 19. And do you remember... When we were talking about when Jesus was uh, baptized, do you remember in Isaiah, I believe it's 64, 1, it says, Oh, Lord, if you would just come and, and tear open the heavens and come down, you know. And when Jesus was baptized, what does it say? It says, and the heavens were opened. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he had come down. He answered that prayer from way back when, right? And so the same thing is happening here. In Psalm 80, it's this prayer 
And so Jesus is telling the disciples in this, this parable, really, he's saying, I'm the fulfillment. You were praying this, and I'm here, right? So somebody read Psalm 80, verses 7 through 13. Come back, come back, O oh God, and restore us. You are the commander of angel armies. Let your beaming face shine upon us with the sunshine rays of glory, and then nothing will be able to stop us. Remember how you transplanted us here like a tender vine from Egypt? You cleared the land for your vineyard, evicting the nations from your land and planting us here. The roots of your vineyard went deep into the soil and filled the land with fruit. Because of your favor on your vineyard, blessing extended to every mountain of influence. Through this flourishing vineyard, mighty ones were raised up. The nations were blessed by your fruitful vineyard of Israel, all the way from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates. So, Lord, why have you broken down your fence of favor around us? Trespassers come, can steal the fruit from our vines, and now every wild beast comes breaking through our wall to ravage us. <clears throat> You've left us without protection. Wait, stop. Did God leave them without protection? There's a blame being put here. Uh -huh. They're throwing the blame on him, and did he do it? Who moved out? Yes, who moved out from the protection? It wasn't God. Yeah, but they're still, you know what? He's still going to honor it. He made the promise. Exactly, because he is a covenant-keeping God. Okay, so look at verses 14 uh, through 17. <clears throat> come back, come back, O God, to restore us. You are the commander of angel armies. Look down from heaven and see our crisis. Come down and care for your lovely vineyard once again. Nurture our root and our fruit with your loving care. Rise up. The branch man, the son of whom you've made strong. Okay, who's the branch man? Jesus. Jesus. Uh huh. The son whom you have made strong. Do you know uh, Nazareth? Another translation of that is branch. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you'll uh, go back to Isaiah, um, I believe 11, where it talks about he is the root of Jesse, right? And from uh, what has been cut down, he's going to raise, uh, be raised out of that, right? And so that's what this is saying is that they're calling him forth in this prayer. Okay, keep going. Enemies chop down our vine and set it on fire. Now show them your anger and let them perish by your frown. Strengthen this branch man, the son of your love, the son of man who dwells at your right hand. I mean, is that pretty clear? Yeah, it's Jesus, right? But you know what? They didn't really know. They knew it was Messiah, but they didn't really have full understanding. Jesus had full understanding. The disciples did not have full understanding at this point. This was Old Testament. This is Old Testament, yes. This is in Psalms. Uh, and so way back. Now, somebody read uh, 18 and 19. Then we will never turn back from you. Revive us again that we may trust in you. O oh God, the mighty commander of angel armies, come back and rescue us. Let your beaming face shine upon us with the sunrise with the sunrise rays of glory. Then nothing will ever stop us again. Okay, so rescue us there in verse 19 is Yasha in Hebrew. 
but it's very close. It's from the same derivation of uh, Yeshua. Because what does Yeshua mean? It means Savior. Savior, which is the same as rescue, right? Uh, and so that's they're even calling forth a name. They don't even realize what they're doing in this prayer. And, you know, the fulfillment of this is <laughs> Jesus' fulfillment, so, uh, fulfillment of Messiah is layered. You know, he, he comes the first time, and, you know, they wanted Messiah, um, son of David, right? But he didn't come the son of David, the conquering king. He came the son of Joseph, the suffering servant, right? And But is he not the same? It took two times of coming, but when he comes back again, then that's what it talks about in verse 19. Then we will never turn back from you. Revive us again that we may trust in you. And then in the rescue, he's talking to Israel, right? Israel is the vineyard that has been put into the land, right? And he has been tending and, um, and pruning and taking care of. Uh, in the same way that he does with us. But um, that's talking about after Jesus' second coming. Then what is he going to do? It talks about uh, all Israel will follow him. They will all call out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they will all come to him as a nation, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fulfillment of that has not yet come, but will come because it's layered that makes sense? Okay. We don't know the timeline of this psalm. We don't know if it was before they were captured and let off or after. Well, this would have been, uh, I, honestly, I didn't look to see who was the author. Because not all of them are David. No, it didn't say that where I looked. It didn't some say are Asaph. Asaph. Okay, Asaph was the. Uh, Asaph's poetic song. Okay, so then that would have been, oh, okay. he was a worshiper. Uh, he was a, a worship leader. Uh, but a contemporary at the same time of David. So, yeah, this was long before Jesus. Prophetic. It's a prophetic psalm. So, we're getting now to John 15. And so, do you think that all the people would have known about the Messianic scriptures? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the men would have at least. Well, they would have. And they would have been uh, bringing it up because that when Jesus came the first time, it was this messianic fervor that everybody was looking for um, Messiah. That's why the most common name for girls was Mary, you know, which means bitterness and rebellion. You know, you wouldn't think that, would you? Mm -hmm. But it means that because they're saying to God, we know that we have been in bitterness and rebellion. We need a savior. You know, bring him forth. Um, and so in John 15, Jesus is telling them, I am that fulfillment. Right? Isn't that beautiful? And so um, another thing before we even start John 15, um, it's a continuation of John 14, 6. So somebody read that. Uh, that we we just talked about last time. Fourteen what? Six. Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. 
No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. And I only extend of my Father to Amen. And there's a there's another scripture that goes hand in hand with that, and that's uh, Acts four twelve. So somebody read that. So what you just read in John fourteen six is he is the only legal way to the Father, right? That's what we were talking about last time. Four twelve. Uh huh. There is no one else who has the power to save us from. For there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's telling us there's only one name by which we could be saved, and that is Jesus. Amen? Amen. So now let's get into John 15. Somebody, excuse me, somebody read... um, Verses 1 and 2. I am a true spreading vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. Okay. One of the things that kind of bugged me is, look at verse 1. It says, I am a true sprouting vine. And most other translations will say the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is the sprouting vine. Uh, but I guess in this one, one of the things, could we say he is a sprouting vine because he is in he is giving his authority to us. We share it with him. And so we're sprouting vines with him, but we're still, the only way we can do it is through connection with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think he's still, he's the main vine. Um, look at this verse 2. What an interesting verse. Because look at it. It says, He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. Okay. You know, here, here's the deal. We know they're in covenant with him. Because look at what he says first. He cares for the branches connected to me. So they're in covenant with him, right? There is connection. They are not cut off. They're connected. And then look, it says, by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. I don't know about you guys, but there have been times in my life that I felt fruitless. You know, and it's good to know that he sees what's going on in me. And so he is lifting and propping up to help with that. Um, A good friend of mine, she had a vision one time and I thought it was so interesting. She was saying she saw uh, all these people on like a chessboard. And there were some people who were on the shelf they were supposed to be on the chessboard, but they had put themselves on the shelf. God did not put them on the shelf. God wanted them on the chessboard, doing the things that he had for them, but they were on the shelf. At any time, they could get off the shelf. God was not keeping them there. It wasn't a, a holy time out. 
<laughs> you know, it was an invitation. Come. But, you know, sometimes we'll put ourselves on the shelf. Maybe we get discouraged. Maybe we get distracted, uh, overwhelmed. Um, and we just can't do it at the time. And so we take a, a time out <laughs> ourselves, right? And so at any time, God is, is offering invitation. Okay, help me. Uh, let me help you get off the shelf and back on the, on the game board of life. You know, um, it's very easy to get on the shelf, uh, right? Yeah, but uh, what God wants us to to come back to Him, and even like one of the things that's beautiful about it is on the chessboard, wherever you were when you got off the chessboard, you go back there. You don't go back to the very beginning. You're not you penalized. Go, no, you're not penalized. You go back to where you were when you got off. Because um, that, that's what he does. He's a restorer. Right? And so that's... Praise God with how they Amen. Amen. I love that. Um... The passion, they, they put it like this. The Greek phrase where it says he's lifting up and lifting and propping up fruitless branches can be translated, he takes up to himself every fruitless branch. It's like he takes us to his heart because he knows it's hard. It knows that maybe we're overwhelmed, discouraged, whatever. He doesn't remove these branches but he takes them to himself. As the wise and loving farmer, he lifts them up off the ground to enhance their growth. In the context, Christ's endless love for his disciples on the last night of his life on earth seems to emphasize God's love, even for those who fail and disappoint him. Peter's denial didn't bring rejection from Jesus. You know what? Peter, even though he messed up, did, God, I mean, did Jesus put him all the way back? At the beginning? No. He put him right back where he had left off. And he became a great leader. I was thinking that maybe when they were talking about fruitless branches, they were talking about the Jews. I can see that. And, and he is doing that. I think this has many different contexts, doesn't it? Most everything it's does. It's layered, too. Yeah. I love that about the word, though. All right, so look at verses uh, three and four. Words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you, so you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you have your life ultimately or intimately joined to mine. All right. One thing that we didn't talk about back in two, where it says, and every fruitful branch, he prunes to yield a greater harvest. All right. 
there is a thing where God, when he prunes us, um, sometimes we can experience pain from it. You know, it doesn't always feel good to be pruned. <laughs> I would say most of the time not. But it's good when he is cutting off things that we don't need anymore. Like, here's an example. Um, my daughter, she had some friends that were um, just uh, discouraging, overwhelming. Uh, it, it was just hard. Negative. Negative, negative influences. And so the Lord had her leave everything. Her job, her friends, everything behind. And it was a lonely time. And she had to just trust. But you know what? He did give her a vision of where she was supposed to go. And so she ended up working at this very place. And um, and then God gave her all new friends that have been good influence, and and it, that's just it. Sometimes our greatest enemy of growth is ourselves. Yeah, because we don't want to give things up. Change. Change. Like for example, another example of that. Um, you remember I was telling you I had a grafted in um, necklace, you know, um, and it, it meant uh, very much to me. It was an identity, you know, for me. And, uh, you know, it was solid gold. Uh, and then another holiday I'd gotten, the chain was solid gold. Uh, and to me, it was worth all of that because it was my identity, right? And the Lord told me to get away. And I argued. I'm like, I don't get away. No. <laughs> you know? And uh, finally, I did. I gave it away. And uh, as soon as I did, then, man, he opened up a whole uh, chasm. <laughs> you know? Um I had to give up that identity so that he could uh, he could make me more of who I'm supposed to be. Uh, that was right after that is when I started seeing the spirit. That's when uh, it was massive growth. But had I not chosen to give up the one, then I wouldn't have gotten the other. You know, it was a pruning for a greater harvest. Right? And so then um, the word there for pruned can also be um, translated as cleansed or clean. And so if you look in verse 3, like what we were just talking about, the, the logos words, I have spoken over you, they have already cleansed or pruned you. And so he's giving explanation. And then look, so you must remain in life union with me or grafted into me. Uh, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. And that's what this whole thing is about is 
being um, joined with him. If we're grafted into him, then um, there is no separation. That we are, uh, Miss Penny, can you explain grafting? Grafting is when you take a branch, let's use my pear trees. Um, I have two different kinds of pear trees. When you take a branch from one variety and you slice into the branch of the other one and you insert the new branch in and then you tape it up, that way there's contact with that inner part of the branch and it will take hold just as if it were an original branch and it will continue to grow and fruit and everything just like it was originally there from the beginning. And so everything that's making that original tree live, all of the sap, the nutrients from the ground, everything is going into the new branches. Mm -hmm. And it's like they were always connected right. and there is, no, um, there is no separation anymore. And in here where you were talking about the, the fruit, fruitless branches, uh, pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest, mm -hmm. again, back to my pear trees, Last year, there was such an abundance of fruit, and this was only the second time I had seen it fruit, so I really wasn't sure how much was too much. Well, it was too much because the branches broke in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. But had I known, I could have, should have gone back and where there were maybe five fruit on a branch, should have cut it back to where there were only three. So the harvest would have been much greater. I would have had three normal size pears where instead I had five much smaller size pairs. So the harvest would have been greater. Maybe the number of fruit would have been less, but it was just too, would have been than the too much for the tree to support. And so God knows what we can do and what we need. Amen. Thank you for explaining that. Well, I can understand the little, the, the simple things. So. Well, <laughs> you know what? That's not simple to a lot of us. If you're not, you do not have no clue. You don't know that. Any questions, just get with me after class. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So somebody read verses five and six. And sprouting vine and yellow branches, as you live in union with me as your source, Fruitfulness will stream from within you, but when you are separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire. They burn. Yeah. When I was reading this, the thing is, is where it says, as you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. Remember back when we were talking about in John 7, 38 and 39, where Jesus says, um, you know, come to me and I will give you living water that will rush up from within you, rivers of living water. Remember? And then in 39, it says he was referring to Holy Spirit. Um, the same thing, and, and that's one thing, too, that I was looking at even before we uh, started. The Father is in Jesus, right? But then what we talked about last week in John 14, um, I believe it was 23, where it says, got my Bible. Okay, yeah, in verse 23, uh, it says, well, I'm going to go back to 20. 
it says, um, so when that day comes, you will know that I am living in the Father and that you are one with me, for I will be living in you. So it's all this interconnection, right? And look at 23. Jesus replied, loving me empowers you to obey, to reo, to treasure my logos word. And my father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. Right? So we don't just have Holy Spirit. We have Jesus and we have Father. Right? And so how far away is our connection? Not far. There's not. There's no distance. It's right there. And so we can communicate. We can uh, hear from. We can talk to. Whatever we need, draw from. Um, any one of the Godhead, they're all right there. Amen? That's what that's saying. All right, so somebody read verses 7 and 8. But, <clears throat> but if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. Okay, do eight. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciple who glorify my Father. All right. Look at uh, verse 7. I actually uh, under or circled this in my notes. But if, so circled if, you live in life union with me, and if my rhema words... Because that's the word that's used there is rhema. And if my rhema words live powerfully within you. And the word there for powerfully, the Aramaic is my words take hold, uh, are strong within you. Then, and I circled then because this is an if-then statement, right? So then you can ask whatever you desire. And the word there for desire is fellow. Do you know, remember when we talked about thelema so many times? The root for thelema is fellow. And so, you know what? Then, if you live in life union with me, and if my rhema words, you're hearing my personal words for you, and you're living with them, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done, right? The desire, fellow, means what you're fond of doing, what you love, what pleases you. Because if we're in union with him and his reign of words are living within us powerfully, then we can be trusted to bring about what we love, what we desire what we're fond of. Because if we're not in a place where we're living in life union with him and his rainbow words are kind of everywhere and they're not actually moving, <laughs> you know, then uh, we can't be trusted. There is a trust issue there. And that's why it's an if-then statement. Right? And that is so much like 14, 13. 
or I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask him, ask me in my name. Mm -hmm. if, with the same stipulation, it goes back to uh, Psalm 37, verse 4, where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we're delighting in him, then he can trust us to, um, to bring whatever desire we have before him. And he can give it to us because we're not going to destroy ourselves and other people with it. And it falls in line with what he wants for us. Yes. Exactly. One of the things that I, I was thinking of, I put in a bit in my notes over beside this. Uh, when you ask, the, the word that's used there is, it could also be translated as demand. What you demand or insist upon. Or command. Or command. And, and that's something, it can be a sticking point with people because they're like, well, I don't have the right to demand anything from God. Or the authority. Mm -hmm. But they don't understand what Jesus did and why he did it. Because one of the things, and, and this was a major changing point for me to understand the word, you know, when I was um, studying the Jewish wedding customs, we as the bride, we everything that we have is according to the Jewish wedding customs, everything, and the groom will give uh, a hand. Well, not handwritten, but he will give a written statement to the bride-to-be of the legal rights she can expect from him. Because back in the day, the women didn't have rights. And so this was the only rights that they could really have. And they could, the husband would let her hold him to those. And what it was, it was called the ketubah. And so what Jesus has done, he is our bridegroom. He, these words, the word itself is our ketubah. It is what he wants us to hold him to his word. And so when we demand that, when we insist upon that, when we command his words that he's given us, he gives him joy. He's like, yeah, you used it. You took what I gave you to bring about what I want. He's proud. You know, it's, it's good. So that's what he's also talking about here. In scripture, it says that Jesus gave us the authority to use his name mm -hmm. and all the power that goes with it. Yep. So my thinking is, if he commanded something to be done, then we could be able to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. He is the example. You're right. All right. So verses 9 through 11. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, for I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. 
My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Okay. And so the word there for love is agapeo. And so it's agape, sacrificial love. And again, in verse 10, he uses it twice. If you keep my commands, what's the word for keep? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it's treasure. If you treasure my commands, you will live in my love. Just as I have Tereo kept, treasured my father's commands. For I continue to live nourished and empowered by his love. So it's the motivation of the keeping the commands is not out of fear of punishment. It's out of a cherishing and a treasuring because of relationship. So verses 12 and 13. And this is my command, love each other deeply as I much as I have loved you, for the greatest love of all is that is a love that sacrifices all, and this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. Okay. That's very hard, isn't it? Because some people are very lovable, and some are not. And that's very hard. Very hard. Now, at the same time, I've had to learn this. To love does not mean that we don't have boundaries. <laughs> right? Or that true. We, or learning that. that. <laughs> or that we don't approve of everything that person does. Right. Yeah. Loving There's someone. consequences. Yes. It doesn't mean that we always love everything they uh, do. Exactly right. I believe you can love someone from a distance. I agree. I agree with that. Because sometimes there are people um, that we need to have boundaries. Um, we can pray for them. Um, we, that's another thing with forgiveness. You can uh, forgive, but that does not mean that you still have to have a relationship. Uh, because there are some times where it is more toxic uh, and it affects your life um, in detrimental ways that we do not need to continue relationship with some people. Um, that's where we live with, we forgive, we love, we pray for when the Holy Spirit brings up remembrance. But it doesn't mean that we have to um, continue on. No, that you don't have to uh, be with them. That's right. Your chapter in your book about forgiveness is for yourself. Like, oh my gosh, how that freed me. Good. Oh my gosh, I can't even tell you. I don't know, like, why I never got that. But truly, like, it's very it free. Maturity. Yeah. And just, yeah. And I, I wonder why one of the commandments is honor your mother and your father instead of love your mother and your father. Yeah. And you know what? In honoring, that doesn't mean um, 
Sometimes it is better to be apart from someone, and that is honoring, than it is uh, to be. <clears throat> because there are some people uh, that will manipulate. They're, they will um, tear down. Uh, it's not a healthy relationship. It's just not healthy. Exactly. And so it is better to have boundaries and be able to do, um, to have peace. Because that's one of the things that also talks about in scripture is uh, let peace reign over all. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's important. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right, so somebody read um, 14 and 15. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants and servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends for I reveal to you everything that I've learned or heard from my father. This is huge. <clears throat> One thing in verse 14 you know what? Obey is not Toreo. You would think, because all of 14, it was always Toreo, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. It's just treasure. This one, it is uh, Poyeo. <laughs> and here's how you spell that. It's P-O-I-E-O. P-O-I-E-O. And what this means is it's uh, to do, but it's also to celebrate to keep. And so if you're keeping something and you're celebrating something, is it again you're afraid of punishment? No. Uh, and so here he's saying, <clears throat> you show that you're my intimate friends. Because are your intimate friends, are you going to be afraid? Oh, I have to dread being around them because I might get punished. Mm. Who wants to be around that? Well, then they're not intimate they're not friends. intimate friends exactly an intimate friend is someone where you can just be yourself mm -hmm. and not be afraid that you're going to be judged right yeah. that you can just trust. be and trust yes and so he's saying uh you show that you're my intimate friends when you obey all that i command you i've never called you servants because a master doesn't confine in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing. The, the thing about it is, <clears throat> Jesus came to reveal the Father. Holy Spirit has come to reveal Jesus and the Father, right? We're not servants. What, what does the scripture say about us? What does the scriptures call us in New Testament as believers? Priests. We're kings. We're priests. We're sons and daughters. We are friends. We're saints. And we're never called anything else except those things because that's what he wants us to know about ourselves. That's our identity in him and with him. Um, the word for saints is hagias, 
And it's the word for holy. It's synonymous. It's the same word as holy. Um, Hagios. Yes, I can. Um, Hagios is H-A-G-I-O-S. Hagios. So funny. Every time I'm like, you're about to start, I'm like, okay, it's like in my head. I'm like, this is how it starts. It's never happened. <laughs> okay. I was like, H-Y? Oh, okay. Okay. But you know, here... Jesus is giving us another identity, and it's friends. Do you know that that is the most intimate? Um, where it talks about, uh, for I reveal everything that I have heard from my father. Abraham and Moses, um, it talks about them being friends of God. They are specifically called that. Um, in, in Exodus 33, 11, uh, in Numbers, it talks about uh, Moses, how he had conversations face-to-face -face with God. In Numbers, it talks about how he saw the form of God, right? Mm -hmm. And that God didn't speak to him like he did others in uh, mysteries. He spoke to him face-to-face -face and clearly and plainly as a friend. It, it doesn't call him a friend. And even David... It says that he was a man after my own heart, but it doesn't say friend. Um, and Moses uh, was a friend. Abraham was a friend. Some places that you can find that, Exodus 33, 11. Second Chronicles 20, verse 7. Okay. 20, verse 7. Isaiah 41, 8, and James 2.23. Jesus, he talks about how he chooses his friends. And the, the thing is, is he has chosen everyone. It's up to us if we become friends, right? The most intimate. Um, and how we do that is we succumb to being pruned. We treasure him and his word. <clears throat> it's having a relationship, living led. It's really not hard. It's just um, being mindful. Recognizing. David was not a friend. It says that he was a man after my own heart, mm -hmm. but uh, does not actually call him friend. No. Who's the other one that wasn't? Uh, Adam. Yeah, Adam. Walked with him, talked with him in the cool of the day, but now all of these were signs. You know, Adam especially, right? He was the son of God. What was this Hagias word? Oh, it was uh, saint. That's what God says we are. We are saints. And it's not because we um, worked hard to get it. Right. It's because of what Jesus did. 
I heard something one time that was like, somebody's like, don't say that you're just a sinner saved by grace. Like, don't say that. Because you're, lie. yeah, because you're, you're not that. that. Old self. Right. Yeah. And I don't like that. Saints, not mm-hmm. sinner. That's what God says about us. Amen. Amen. Oh, I thought this was interesting. I saw this in the New Living Translation commentary. It said the disciples of a rabbi were considered his servants or slaves. Do you hear that? The disciples of a rabbi were considered his servants or slaves. Jesus elevated his followers to a higher relationship as his friends. Yeah, it was all about that, wasn't it? Especially to that one. Well, understand I've never called you servants. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the other people did. And so he was saying, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, they would have expected, based on that, to be called servants. To have been called servants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like this where, he, where it says, because the master doesn't confide in his servants. So to me, that it shows that he cares about, yeah. you know, what they thought or what they were feeling and things like that. Yeah. The New Living Translation also says um, the Aramaic word for friends is actually family or relatives, which is even that much closer. Mm-hmm. And you know what that goes back to? We talked about this verse last time because I actually love the scripture. <laughs> but in Acts, uh, not sorry, not Acts, Ephesians 2 18 19, where it talks about uh, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus has opened up the way for us to get to the Father, and that it is not as foreigners or guests, but with full rights as a family. You know, we are the part of the family of God. We are sons and daughters. We have full rights to Him. That's exactly what it's saying. I think that's beautiful. Go here too. There is a Hebrew word, and I love this word too. <laughs> uh, it is in uh, several places. Sometimes it'll be translated as an assembly. Sometimes it'll be translated as council. Assembly? No, that's Greek. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking of a, a Hebrew word. Okay. And this word is sowed, and it's it looks like our English sod, S-O-D. But it is um, this word, and it means an inner circle of counselors, an inner circle of friends, intimate friends of a king. And so when a king would have his inner circle come to him, they would be his advisors, uh, the people that he talked to about what was going on, matters of state, his personal life even everything. And so that's what God has for us is to be a part of his soul, his intimate friends. And uh, he's looking for that, for friendship. Hmm. Yeah. You can look that word up. It's a pretty cool word. And where it's used is pretty cool. <laughs> hmm. 
All right, somebody read 16 and 17. You didn't choose me, but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit, and your fruit will last because whatever you ask of my Father for my sake, he will give it to you. So this is my parting command, love one another deeply. And is he meaning literally his parting command? Yeah, he's going to die the next day. And so he's saying, do this. That's it. Just love. Um, where it says here, uh, but I've chosen you. The Aramaic is I have invited you as dinner guests. Um, and then it, it commissioned you to go into the world. One of the things that uh, I think the Passion put in, this could mean to go on into maturity of character or to go into the world like ministry. However, the choosing and commissioning infers uh, more ministry. So somebody read 18 through 21. True disciples can expect persecution. Just remember, when the unbelieving world hates you, they first hated me. If you were to give your allegiance to the world, they would love and welcome you as one of their own. But because you won't align yourself with the values of this world, they will hate you. I have chosen you and taken you out of the world to be mine. Okay, stop. The word that's being used there over and over for world is cosmos. Again. And so um, it's saying when the unbelieving world, uh, it could be universe, uh, but it could also even be the physical realm, right? What we could look at it here, because he's talking about a specific people, right, that are only of the physical realm. They are not looking at the spiritual realm. They're not coming from the spiritual realm's uh, influence because if they're going from an influence who is the prince of the power of the air and is the ruler of that world, of the physical world. And he, he talked about that last week. That would be the enemy, right? And so that's what he's coming from. And then look at the word here in verse 19. It says, and if you were to give your allegiance to the world, then it says they would love and welcome you as one of their own. The word there for love is phileo, not agape. This is not a sacrificial love. They're not going to sacrifice themselves for each other because they are not coming from that perspective. Phileo is uh, where we get Philadelphia. Uh, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. So phileo is to have strong affection toward, to love like a brother, to have... Um, an affection for, to be fond of, but it is not a sacrificial love. Phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O. Oh, so close. <laughs> A-O. Oh. <laughs> That's why they spell Philadelphia the way they do, evidently. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Uh, 20 and 21. So remember what I taught you, that a servant isn't superior to his master. And since they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. And if they obey my teaching, they will also obey yours. They will treat you this way because you are mine, and they don't know the one who sent me. All right, so let's look at some of these words, what they are. Um, so it says, um, and if they obey my teachings, obey Tereo. So if they treasure my, and teachings here is logos. So teachings here is the entire written word. So if they treasure my written word, they will also obey yours. And so this is Tereo again. So if they treasure me, they're going to treasure you. Because we're representatives, right? We're coming in the same heart. We're supposed to be coming with the same heart. Um, and then it says, and they will treat you this way because you are mine. Uh, and they don't know uh, the one who sent me. And so he's talking about those of the world, right? Uh, and the word there for know is Ido. So Ido, E-I-D-O, it means to see with uh, the eyes, to see with the mind, uh, to experience, to uh, become acquainted with by experience. Okay, question. 21. Mm -hmm. They will treat you this way. Jesus is talking about everybody else will treat the disciples yes. the way they treat him. Mm -hmm. They will treat you this way because you are mine. Mm -hmm. And they don't know the one who sent me. Right. They've not experienced. They haven't seen and experienced him. So because they haven't experienced the one who sent him, because how are they going to experience the Father? Through Jesus. Okay. Yes. And so because they haven't accepted Jesus, they're not accepting the Father. It seemed a little odd to me. But it's just that Jesus is being the representative, his representative, so they would have to know him first before they could know God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because he's the way to the Father, right? Only through his son. So verses 22 through 25. If I had not come and spoken these things to the unbelieving world, they would not feel the guilt of their sin. But now their sin is left uncovered. If anyone hates me, they hate my father also. If I, have not performed, if I had not performed miracles in their presence like no one else had, has done, yeah, they would not feel the guilt of their sins. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. And all of this has happened to fulfill what is written in their scriptures. They hated me for no reason. Mm. Yeah. I love how you put their scriptures. Yeah. It's their, their stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and look at this where he says, um, you know, mm -hmm. that because of what he has done, their sin is left uncovered. What was the whole, because he's, he's talking about the Jewish people at this time, right? The, the religious leaders, uh, not the Jewish people as a whole, but of the religion. Uh, and the religious leaders, what is one of the, the feast days? Is the day of covering. That's what the, the day of atonement is. Atonement means to cover. 
And so that was when their sins were covered by the, the sacrifice, uh, the blood of sacrifice. And so he's saying, you know, I came. I came to do this work. The, the dress rehearsal is going to be fulfilled. And so because they're not believing, then and he's not saying this out of malice. Uh, he's not saying, he's not being mean. He's just, just speaking truth. Yeah, he's just telling them, because I came and I'm doing this, then you're going to be left uncovered. That's not being mean. He's just telling them truth. All right, so read 26 and 27. And I will send you the divine encourager from the very presence of my Father, and he will come to you. The Spirit of truth emanating from the Father, and he will speak to you about me. And you will tell everyone the truth about me, for you have walked with me from the start. So the word there for uh, divine encourager is uh, parakaletos, again. And uh, parakaletos can also, Aramaic, it would be Redeemer from the curse. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's calling him again the spirit of truth. Truth can be is aletheia in Greek, which can also be translated reality. I found this. Um, this is in the New Living Translation, uh, the Bible that I have. It's a study Bible. Uh, let me give you this, because parakaletos is this word. It's really hard for us to get. It literally just means called alongside, you know, because kaleo is to call, and para is alongside, to be beside. And so that's what parakaletos means, literally. But it says, uh, on four occasions, Jesus used an unusual word, parakaletos, called alongside or advocate to describe Holy Spirit. The same term occurs in Greek literature, where it refers to a legal advocate, someone who speaks in a person's defense and provides legal counsel. Counselor is a popular, a popular translation of this term. But the therapeutic connotations of this word in contemporary English are misleading. The older legal meaning of a lawyer providing advice or counsel is closer to the mark. Comforter is another popular translation, but this is also misleading. The old, uh, older English meaning of someone who strengthens an encourager is more accurate in the New Testament concept of parakletos. Jesus described the spirit as another advocate. Jesus, who is the first advocate, sent a second advocate, Holy Spirit. Every task of the spirit in John 14 through 16 is a task Jesus undertook elsewhere in the gospel. Jesus promised that Holy Spirit would come to encourage, instruct, and strengthen his followers. In fact, the Spirit would sustain Jesus' own presence among his disciples. Five promises of the Spirit each indicate a different work that the Spirit does. The Spirit became available to Jesus' disciples after his death. 
the Spirit now continues the work of Jesus in his presence in the life of believers. So a legal advocate, someone who um, stands up for us. Goes to bat for us. Our defense attorney. Mm-hmm. Our defense attorney. That would be what that is. And uh, one last thing that I've got here. Hey, we're doing really good on time. <laughs> um, is uh, the disciples are not alone when they testify about Jesus. The Spirit accompanies them, providing them the words to say. And that's Matthew 10, 19 and 20. So somebody read Matthew 10, 19 and 20. And Paul talks about that too. <clears throat> so when they arrest you, don't worry about how to speak or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will give you at that very moment the words to speak. It won't be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. We don't have to be afraid. We just have to trust and go. He says speak into his poor twelve. Okay. Would that be the same thing? I don't know. <laughs> oh, um, I don't have it. Exodus four. That's when. Um, it's uh, right after the burning bush with Moses. Um, um, we can look at that though. Exodus 4. I bet you that I will be with you, and this is your son, that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Mm-hmm. Did you read Acts 7 7? Because this refers to Acts 7 7. Cross referencing great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bunny trails. I, I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, bunny trails was a purpose. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. They all have purpose. It's just basically God spoke with him and gave him this promise. Your descendants will live in a foreign land with a people who will live in make slaves of them and oppress them for 400 years. Oh, oh sorry. But I will judge the nation that enslaves them, and your descendants will be set free to return to this land and serve and worship me. That was that. I can't, where, what was that? Mm-hmm. Acts what? Acts 7, 7. I can't keep up when we start jumping like this. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 What? You read Exodus 4, didn't you? Or was it 4? 4. I read Exodus 4. 4 10. Oh. I read the wrong one. Oh. Yeah, I did. It's just like, well, you read it was ex- No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> That's why that didn't make sense. Oh, the one I read made sense. I was like, okay, I will be with you. But then I looked up here because Exodus 4 was there, so I flipped over here and saw 12. That's 3. Let's go back to 312 now. 412. 412. Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. That's the right one. 
directions or worried about a thing be saturated in prayer throughout each day offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude tell him every detail of your life then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real honorable and admirable beautiful and respectful pure and holy merciful and kind and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Put into practice the example of all that you have heard from me or seen in my life, and, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. That's through nine. Yeah. That's and so good. It's all about peace. 
And the one scripture uh, where it talks about what you were just reading, where if we bring everything to the Lord, we bring every detail of our lives. Mm -hmm. One thing that implies he cares about every detail of our lives. Everything we care about, he cares about because he loves us. Tell me God cares about the Green Bay Packers. I guess so. <laughs> if you love them, if you care about them, then yes, he does. <laughs> Just, uh, and so the thing about it, though, is then it says, in the peace of God, will guard, right? Um, the, the word there actually means that um, we'll put, like, um, centuries of literal guards it's, it's a picture, it's a word picture of um, like his, we could even call like what we were talking about earlier tonight, he's the commander of angel armies. He's sending angels to come and guard our hearts uh, because we've given everything to him. He's guarding our hearts, uh, standing guard, keeping peace within us. You know, it's a word picture. Um, and another scripture that backs that up perfectly is Isaiah 26, verse 3. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You'll keep in perfect peace all, peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And I think the New King James, it says, uh, and you shall be in perfect peace, those whose mind is stayed on you. And so as long as we have our mind stayed on him, and that's coming for the, to him with everything, then you know what that actually is translated, the perfect peace? Shalom, shalom. shalom. So it's double shalom. And so it's meaning... It multiplied, you know, uh, and Shalom, we talked about, it's more than just peace. It's wholeness in every way, spirit, mind, and body. Uh, and so it's that doubly and assured. That's a whole lot of peace. <laughs> <laughs> we need it. Yeah, we do. We need to be reminded of that. Next week, we will get into 16, John 16. That is the last conversation that he has with them. So he is throwing out all the last things, the kitchen sink, to him. Yeah. In 16 and in 17, he's going to pray. And that's when they're sleeping. Right. <laughs>